All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in chapter 7 and 8 of Judges, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Finish up Gideon here. 7 and 8 of Judges. Had a great time last night over in Mound City. There's a, a ministry called uh, Ducks and Bucks for Wounded Warriors, and they asked me to come over and do a little something after their meal over there. And What it is is conservation agents and guides take out some wounded warriors out for a hunt, ducks or bucks, whichever they choose, and different days. They can even do trapping if they want to do that at the beginning of the week. Then they go back and check their lines and everything. And it was just neat to see all these guys come together, given what they had. You know, we had probably four or five conservation agents there, and then, uh, and then I don't know, 20 guides, you know, and then all the wounded warriors and everything. It was a really good time. You're not always sure how those things are going to go because there's a lot of testosterone in the room, and I'm going to take this distraction away from, you know, the post-traumatic stress disorder and bring them down a notch in how they need Jesus, you know, and you're not sure how that's going to go. It went really, really well, though. Very receptive. Um, uh, before I went up, you know, they're all having a great time, and the guy comes over, comes over to shake my hand because he doesn't know who I am. You know, might be a warrior, might be something. He doesn't know. And, uh, and uh, he goes, oh, you're the preacher. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm the preacher. He goes, we like it short and sweet around here. I said, I won't, I won't go over two hours, I promise. He, he took, looked at me. He wasn't sure how to take me, you know. And I just kind of smiled at him. I said, it'll be all right. And uh, he kept poking me, and uh, so, and when I got up to speak, boy, I got to poke him back. It was great, but he was blessed, you know. Uh, it went well, um, and he was, uh, several of the guys came up and said, because um, I just gave my testimony is all, and, uh, and then a little bit, a little object lesson at the end, because, you know, none of us are above that. Um, and he came up, and he, and he says, you know, I don't like listening to the preachers, you know, there's all these guys, you know, just, you know, cheer, cheer, we're going to be outdoors, meet God, and kill things, you know, kind of thing. And that was their attitude. <laughs> I'm all for that, that's fine. Um, but it was, it, every eye, every ear, and there were, some, there were some foggy eyes. I won't say tears, I'll say foggy eyes. Now, it could have been they've been out all day long since 4 a.m. too, I don't know. But they were... God moved last night. It was exciting to see. Um, and uh, it was very blessed to be a part of that ministry. It is a ministry. It's a good thing. So keep those guys in your prayers, all of them, you know, guides, agents, and those wounded warriors. I mean, I know the focus was on the warriors, but every one of those guys needed to encounter God, you know, and they need to have time with him and surrender, you know. Um, so keep them in your prayers that God would use what was shared last night and continue uh, to bring that to fruition, because there's no point if the seed doesn't germinate and sprout up. You know, the word went out, but we needed to bear fruit. And so please, please pray for those guys. I will be too, and hopefully we'll get an opportunity as a fellowship to be more a part of that ministry. Didn't even know it existed. So um, it was a good time, really good time. All right. We have a sign-up sheet. Not a sign no, we don't have a sign-up sheet. No more sign-up sheets. This is, <laughs> we got enough sign-up sheets. This is a flyer. It's different from a sign-up sheet. This you can take home and it's about the kids. They're going to be singing on Christmas, uh, um, around Christmas time. I don't know the exact date. I, don't, I think it's the 11 o'clock service on the, day, the Sunday before. Um, and we've got four practices, so, and it's after the second service of the next four Sundays. So there's a flyer there for you to take to remind you of the dates and the times and everything if you want your kids to come up and sing. And um, you can put them in their little Christmas sweaters and get your pictures with them and everything, and we're going to do that this year. So that's out there. Don't forget to grab one. All right. Gideon's Valiant 300. Um, we remember last week we left off with 32,000 men of Israel that wanted to 
that answered the call of Gideon to go to war. Gideon started the fight by igniting the fire with his spark of tearing down his dad's idol. Um, pulled it down and burned it and offered up a sacrifice to the true and living God, which is kind of what you got to do. It's no good just to tear down the idol. You got to tear down the idol and then stomp on it with God. You know what I mean? You got to put God on top. Um, it doesn't do any good for people to quit smoking or quit drinking or quit whatever it is that you want to quit and you don't replace it with godly attribute. You got to fill that, okay? So he does that, um, blows the trumpet and 32,000 show up um, to go against um, all these, you know, well, we're going to find out later. They're, they're pre-Muslim folk is what they are. They're the, the sons of Ishmael. Um, and we'll get into that here. Verse 7 begins, or chapter 7, verse 1 begins, Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, remember he got his name changed because he tore down the altar. You can read that in chapter 6. And all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them uh, by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest... Israel claimed glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at, at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. So we see a drastic a drastic reduction in the amount of warriors you have. Now, it's already outnumbered. We're going to hear a number later on. About 120,000 are going to be killed by the sword um, when it gets down to the 300 even. So we're going to, even at 10 to 1, you're, or one to, you know, it's 10 to 1, 10 enemies to 1 right now, the ratio is pretty much, you know, who, who else would say that God didn't, you know, do this? Uh, but God says still that's not enough. So he does that. He, I want to take out the, the fearful and the afraid. Um, I got to pull up my notes here. I was posting something online about the worship here this morning, and I, I pulled my notes down. So let me get those up here so I have my scriptures. Um, he brings it down 20,000 or 22,000 people. Anybody that's fearful and afraid, and I like that, that he gives them the option. Um, that means 10,000 are probably lying. <laughs> they just didn't want to go home. Uh, and I know that Gideon wanted to go with him. Later on, it's going to find out, we're going to see later on that Gideon was afraid. He didn't get to go. It wasn't his, that wasn't for him. He just got to say it. Anybody afraid, you get to go home. So 22,000 left and 10,000 lied. And, and Gideon's one of the guys, honestly. Gideon's one of them. Because um, it says later on that he's afraid. Um, there's a difference though. Everybody's afraid. Every, everybody's afraid. They're afraid of something. Um, some people are afraid of spiders and snakes and things. Some people are afraid of speaking in public. Uh, you know, everybody's, a lot of people have a deathly fear of that. Just, just put a bullet in my head. I'd rather do that than get up in front of people any day. Um, and a lot of fears. We all have fears. Everybody has fears. The difference is with Gideon is he's got, a, he's got fear, but he's going to go at it with God. And that's where faith is mixed in. And, 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 and then by faith, the fear goes away. That's what, you can't have both at the same time. When, when, when David was confronted with uh, you know, odds that were against him, um, going into it by yourself is fearful. Going into it with God removes all fear. Okay? Um, perfect love casts out fear. They don't exist. In the, faith and fear don't exist in the same space. Um, you replace one with the other. That, that's why I was saying earlier, you got to get rid of your fear, but you can't just get rid of it. You've got to replace it with faith for it to be permanent, for it to be real. 
I didn't get a chance last night, but post-traumatic stress disorder is a big thing. It's a psychological term. And all it is, is it's another way to say guilt. There's no other way to put it. There's, there's a, it was terrifying, and I felt cowardly at times, and there was guilt um, for what I did. And you look at the warriors in the Old Testament, all these guys, they were killing thousands and thousands of people, and there's no, there's no post-traumatic stress disorder. Why? Because they knew what they were doing and who they were doing it for and the purpose behind it. They had faith. They were God's army. God doesn't have post-traumatic stress. He doesn't have a problem with it. And so the fear, fine, but it needs to be replaced with faith. Once that faith comes in and the fear is cast out because perfect love casts out fear, I know I'm saying that again, you step into that war knowing why you're there, knowing what you're doing, and that it's righteous. That's, that makes all the difference in the world when you know that what you're doing is righteous. So with our walk with Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, probably before we ask God to take away our fear and replace it with faith, can I? What I mean by that is, is my fear because I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing? Is it guilt because it's against God? Or is what I'm doing something that's righteous and that I need to increase my faith and then it works? You can't just get rid of fear. If I have a fear of getting caught of sinning, that's a fear that God is never ever going to take away from you because he loves you. On the other hand, if I have a fear of doing the righteous thing and I ask God to come in, he will remove that from you. He will take that away. That's the difference between I've got to get medication for this because I can't get rid of this fear. Maybe you're not supposed to be doing what you're doing. And that's the only way you can do it is to numb yourself to the point where all of those fail-safes that God builds, in, builds into us as human beings and as followers of his, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And you're tired of hearing that voice, so you medicate it quiet. Anyway, he gets rid of 22,000 people. The Lord said to this, said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. I will test them. I like that. Gideon, I don't want you to pick. I don't want you to go through and pick out the guys that you think shouldn't be there. Just put them down there and I'll do the test. And whoever's left after my test, those are the ones you use. There's a lot of people that we would pick to be on our team, whether that's in ministry or any other thing. People you prefer, people that have different qualities or different skill sets. You'd like them on your team. But God doesn't look for that. He calls those whose hearts are ready to be used. And, and that's a, it's very different from what the world does. If he was to ask Gideon, I want you to pick 300 out of these guys, what would you do if you were Gideon? Fastest, biggest, meanest looking biker dudes I can find. Those are the ones I'm going to pick. Because if I'm only going in with 300, I want them to be the best of the best. That's how we think. And that's perfectly normal. And yet God is saying, no, no, I, I want to deliver the entire people into your hand and I don't want anybody to ever look that it was the best of the best. I want them to know that it was I the best of the best. So he says, let me test them. He does that several times in the Bible. God loves to lose, use the remnant in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 22. For though your people, O Israel, be as the sand of the sea, a remnant of them will return the destruction decreed shall overflow with righteousness. Now, it's not a great verse for this. It's not an excellent comparison. But three different times, several different times, more than three, God 
lets us know it's a remnant. It's a small group. The next time is Deuteronomy 28, verse 62. You shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven in a multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. So now we get a little criteria here. I'm not looking for the best of the best. The remnant, the very few that remain, are the obedient. Until finally we read when Jesus writes, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. It's, it's not the 32,000 going to heaven, it's the 300. It's the 300 that are the broken, the lost, the ones that just obeyed God and His Word and went into the battle, not with the skill set, not with any kind of training, but simply with faith. When we get to heaven, when people go to heaven, we're, I think we're going to be really surprised who's in the front row. And I know that's not probably how it is, but that's my way of saying who, who's the best of the best is not who we think. It's going to be that quiet person that just served quietly their whole lives. I'm convinced of it, that nobody even knew what they were doing on the side. Never, never made it public. Never wanted to make it public. It was just their way of serving the Lord. Never looked for any kind of kudos or congratulatory slaps on the back. Those are going to be the folks. Like, Who are you? I mean, where's Moses? You know, where's, where's Gideon? He's like 12 rows back. Who are these people? I'm a janitor, or was, or whatever, you know. You'd be surprised, I think. God wants to use the few, just a few. And he wants to use those that are just obedient to him. So he says, I'm going to test them. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whom I, whom I, whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. I want you to do exactly what I tell you to do, Gideon. Don't question me. Don't doubt me. Just obey me. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set apart for himself, likewise everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you, and deliver the Midianites, into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Why? The Bible doesn't tell us why he picks the guys that didn't bend over but just brought the water up to their mouth. Some say it's because they were alert. They didn't want to bury their face in the water and to not see what was going on around them, so they're doing this. Could be. And that's true. In ministry, you want to be alert. If you're going to serve God, you need to be aware of what's going on around you, spiritually and otherwise. You need to be paying attention to those things, praying through those things, listening for God to give you further directions. It's important to be alert. It could be these guys couldn't bend over all the way, too. These are the guys that had a cane, stick, staff, who knows what it was. They could only go down so far. Ever been there? <laughs> I know I could get down there to get there, but I don't know if I'd get back up again, you know. I'll get it next time I fall, you know, kind of thing. 
Could be. Either way, God's using those that are, let's say these guys are older. Let's say these guys can't get down all the way. And they know that if they bury their face in the water, it's going to take way too long for them to hop back up to go to war. So they're alert, but they're feisty. Let's leave it at that, maybe. I don't want to make these guys feel terrible, or I'm going to meet them one day. We want to be alert in the ministry. We want to be aware of what's going on around us. You want to be aware. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. Go ahead. But... If you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. And then he went down. What does that tell us? You can go ahead and go fight right now, but if you're afraid, you can go down. Well, I'm going to go down. That tells us Gideon's afraid. It tells us he's part of those first 22,000 that probably should have ran home. But he can't because he's called. He's got to do it. So God gives him this, and I see that as the graciousness of our God. You can go down now. It's not necessary for you to go down, but if you need some more confirmation, go on down and listen to what they're saying. Now, get this. So he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now, the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of, of the east, were lying in the valleys as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand of the seashore by mul in multitude. So, a lot. And then Gideon, when Gideon came down, there was a man telling a dream to his companion, and he said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. Of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell over or fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. And the companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, into the hand of God, has delivered Midian and the whole camp. What? I've seen, I have seen, I've read more commentators try to twist this dream into actually meaning that. And I'm reading that and I said, No, dude, you went to bed hungry or having a hard time with your low-carb diet. You dreamt of a loaf of bread coming in and hitting a tent. And the obvious, obvious explanation is that this is the sword of Gideon. That doesn't even make sense. And I think that's why Gideon's so encouraged. It doesn't matter what these guys are dreaming. They're obviously scared to death of what's about to take place. This is Gideon. He tore down the altar. This is Gideon. This is hilarious to me. I had this dream, you know, there it was, a butterfly with diamond eyes, and it was eating pizza, and there I was. <laughs> That's the Lord, for sure. No. No, it's not. This is not. I love it. The companion was like so eager, and people are so eager to make it out to be something of God. And maybe so. Maybe there is some secret barley loaf bread thing that I have never read in the Bible that means that that's Israel. Maybe that, you know, we know the fig tree represents Israel. Maybe a loaf of barley bread represents, I don't know. I doubt it. I just think as I'm looking at this and I put this in my normal everyday life and someone came up to me and said, I dreamed of a big loaf of bread. I'm like, God, Cato is hard. It's a hard diet to be on, you know. I understand your pain. Nowhere would I ever say, well, that's God. He's calling you to Africa. You got to go start a ministry, you know. Funny. But if you want something to mean something, you can make it mean that. I've learned that the hard way. Wanting to hear the voice of God and you pick out scriptures, you know, you've got something on your mind that you kind of want to really, really do. 
And so I'm just going to wait until I get confirmation from God's word and you go through and you said, that'll work. This really fits, you know. You can twist about any scripture you want to make it fit. And I don't know how you get over that except you just know your own heart enough, well enough. You're like, no, I just made that fit. You just kind of get to that honest place in your life where it's like, no, I best let someone else find it in God's word and tell me without me looking or telling them about it and then I'll know it. Then I get confirmation. You know, that's kind of the place I have to get at sometimes. It's like, no, I can tell I really want to do this. It's my flesh and I can make it happen. I can just read and read and read until I find something that fits. You know, Jesus wept. Obviously, that's from the Lord for me, you know. So you let other people do it. The encouraging thing here is, he goes down and he says, these guys are scared to death no matter what they dream, no matter what is said, they're scared to death of Gideon. That encourages him. And so it was. When Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, and I think God puts that both in there, he doesn't say, when he heard the dream, obviously God's been touching their mind while they're sleeping, because we see that in the scriptures. He says here, when he heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, these guys are scared to death. That he worshipped. That's faith. His fear got switched to faith right there. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies, so three three groups of 100 men. And he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. Watch. And when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Now he's taking a quote, sort of, mixing it with God here, Uh, adding God to it, but he's taking a quote from this guy's interpretation of the dream. So this guy's telling everybody about this dream, and they're all telling about the interpretation. So when we do this, we're going to say it's the sword of Gideon. You know, (gasps) that's the dream you had. That's the barley loaf. Here they come. You know, he does a good thing though here. He adds the Lord, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. This is what I want you to do. And I've never really understood. I get this question sometimes. I don't understand how the fire can stay lit inside the pitcher. You know, um, seems to me the oxygen would go away every time you try to light a candle at the end of it. You know, you put the flame up there and just, you can't get it lit because it's too far down because it sucks. The I don't know how that works. I don't know if they had them lit or there's holes in the picture and it was like subdued or something. I'm just throwing that out there in case you want to ask me afterwards. I don't have any idea. I don't really know. I mean, maybe it's a sieve kind of, kind of pot and there's air in there and it can still hold it so it was a subdued light or something. But for the most part, when you stick something like that inside of a pot, it's going to go out. But it doesn't. Um, that's how they concealed the flame. So it worked. So maybe there's a problem with the translation here as far as a pot uh, or a pitcher. Maybe it's something different. Um, maybe it's got some air holes in it or something. Anyway, so Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, um, just as they had posted the watch. And they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the 300 companies blew the trumpets and uh, broke, the trim- broke the picture. So there's a lot of noise involved with this too, and light and confusion, and they're all around the camp. They held the torches in their left hand and the trumpets in their right hand, so none of them have a sword in their hand. Okay? And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, and every man, this is the enemy, in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the 300 blew the trumpets, 
The Lord set, this is God's plan, this is God's part, set every man's sword against his companions throughout the whole camp. So they woke up in a stupor, you ever do that? And they start stabbing their buddies right next to them. They're just, they don't know who's, what's going on. Just everybody, they're everywhere. Just kill everybody, you know? So these guys are on the edge still going, wow, they're just, they're killing themselves. They're just slaughtering each other. And God did that, brought confusion into them. And that's what happens. God is not the author of confusion unless it's our enemies. I like that. Whenever I feel confused, I know it's not God. And I know I best not pull my sword. Very important. When I'm confused about something, um, it can come out sideways sometimes. And I get angry with myself, and then I get angry with other people, and I'm not sure, and you get defensive, and all of a sudden you start slicing and dicing your buddies around you, or your family or something. You've got to be careful of that. Just a side note. These guys don't. They just yank their sword, and they start slicing everybody next to them, and end up wiping themselves out, basically. When the 300 blew the trumpets, every man's sword was against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the army fled to Beth um, Acacia towards Ziraha, or sorry, Zira, Zirara, uh, as far as the border of Abel Mehalah uh, by Tabith. And then the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh, and pursued the Midianites. So they all came down, they started fighting. Then Gideon sent messengers throughout all the mountains of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize from them the watering places as far as Bethbara uh, and the Jordan. So grab the wells, grab all those places, you know, and, and you conquer that ground and you hold it, and they can't get water, and it's a good thing. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered together and seized the watering places as far as Bethbara and the Jordan. So it happened. And they, ca- and they captured two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued Midian uh, and, and brought the heads of uh, Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. So they got him. Now, we've got to go quick here. The men of Ephraim said to him, Why have you done this to us by not calling us when you went to fight with the Midianites? And they reprimanded him sharply. There's a lot there, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. We have a whole chapter to get through. Uh, but don't, don't be concerned when you're not a part of the ministry you think you're supposed to be a part of. God obviously only wanted these 300 men. And the, the point of this story is, and, and Gideon's answer could have been, but isn't, is it could have been, because God said so. God says you weren't supposed to be a part of that. I'm sorry if that offends your delicate sensibilities, but you're not a part of this ministry. This is something God called me to do with these 300. You're welcome to join us now. But at this time and at this point, I just obeyed God with these 300 guys. This is what he wanted. It's, it's God's plan. He doesn't say that, but he could have. That's what I would have said. So he said to them, what have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of uh, Abizer? Or Abiz, uh, Abi, I can't even pronounce it. God has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger toward him subsided when he said that. See, Gideon brought it down a peg, which is, proves the proverb, a, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so, um, and I said that backwards, but you get the idea. Um, I don't mind a harsh word sometimes. That's probably my problem. I need to have that gentle answer like this. You guys are way better. You get, we didn't want to bother you with it. You get, your vintage of your grapes is way better than ours. Well, yes, it is. You know? and, and it calmed them all down. You know? um, I, I don't, if you see, that's my problem. If I see pride in myself or in anybody, I don't feed it. I don't think it's a good idea to feed that pride. 
And that's what this is. That's all this is, is Ephraim sees a victory that they didn't get to be a part of, and they're mad that they don't get any of the kudos or the, or the, or the congratulations, you know. How come we weren't a part of this? I don't know, because God said you weren't a part of this. Anyway, Gideon's a better man than I am, and, and, and soft answer turns away wrath, and it worked, and they're still brothers and they're friends, and okay, as long as you weren't thinking that you were better than us. No, no, no. I remember what you told me last week, how I'm the least of my people and the least of my families. Remember, you had to go through that. Probably heard it from these guys all the time. Who am I? I'm nobody, you know? Remember, you told me all my life? When Gideon came to the Jordan, he and the 300 men who were with him crossed over, exhausted, but still in pursuit Still these 300 guys, and they're sticking together. Then he said to the men of Succoth, please give uh, loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted, and I am pursuing uh, Zeba or Zeba and Zalmunna, kings of Midian. Now that tells me that he's way out ahead, that he actually has time to stop and talk to these guys. Hey, there's a bunch of guys behind me. There's 300 of them. Give them bread. They're exhausted. That makes me think these are the Guys with the canes, you know, we can't keep up with Gideon. We're going to get there, though, you know, kind of thing. Hey, there's some, some guys are coming through. Feed them. Look what these guys say. The leaders of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zulmona now in your hand that we should give bread to your army? That's their way of saying, You ain't caught them yet. When you catch them, we'll give you some bread, kind of thing. Mm, he didn't like that. So Gideon said, For this cause... When the Lord has delivered Zeba and Salmuna into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with the briars. I'm going to give you a spanking when I come back, is what he's saying. A whipping with a switch with thorns on it. Now that I can understand. I didn't understand the soft answer. And so he's got a little bit of both in him. Then he went up from there to Punel, or, uh, Penuel and spoke with them to, in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth answered. So he also spoke with the men of Penuel and said, when I come back in peace, I will tear down this tower. Not happy. All we asked for were some provisions along the way, but we hadn't gotten the job done yet, so you're not willing to be a participant in this. I want to participate any way God lets me participate in his ministry. And I'm not, I don't care if I'm in the front or if I'm in the rear, but man, I want to be on this team. I want to be somewhere in the mix, you know. I don't get to be in front. I'm in fr I get to be in front here. I like that. It's great. But when it comes to Africa, David's in front. David Spencer's. I don't get to be in front there, but we can do what we can do and support there. We're in the rear with the gear, with that ministry kind of thing. This Wounded Warriors thing had nothing to do with me. I just got to come in and do a little tiny 10 to 15 minute thing, you know. Oh, sorry. My video uploaded. Um, that's it, you know. I don't care. Who cares? Just get to be a part of it somehow. These guys missed out on such a great opportunity. Give me some bread. Yeah. You go get them, guys. They should be glad they're not having to tag along. All I have to do is provide bread, but no, we're not going to give you any bread till we see these guys. Mm, bad choice. Now, Ziba and Zulmona were at uh, Karkor, and their armies with them, about 15,000, all who were left of all the armies of the people of the east for 120,000 men who drew the sword had fallen. Okay, so uh, we've got 130, uh, 135,000, only 15,000 are left, 120,000 are dead. Then Gideon went up by the road of uh, those who dwell in the tents on the east side of Noba uh, Jogbaha. And he attacked the army while the camp felt secure. 
when Ziba and Zulmuna fled, he pursued them and he took the two kings of Midian, uh, Ziba and Zulmuna, and routed the whole army, got them all. Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle uh, from the ascent of uh, Harris, and he caught a young man uh, of the men of Succoth and interrogated him. So he's back to the spanking gang. The guys he said he was going to give a spanking to us. So he caught some young guy and he interrogated him. I don't know what that looked like. And he wrote down for him the leaders of Succoth and its elders, 77 men. I want to know who's in charge of that town. You know, I don't think I can tell you. Oh, you can tell me. You know, I don't know what this looked like. Um, maybe waterboarding back in the day here. I don't know, but he got it out of him. Then he came to the men of Succoth and said, Here are Ziba and Zulmuna, about whom you ridiculed me, saying, Are the hands of Ziba and Zulmuna now in your hand, that we should give you bread, to, or give bread to your weary men? And he took the elders of the city, and thorns of the wilderness, and briars, and with them he taught the men of Succoth. Isn't that a great way to put it? We're all going to go to school, you know? <laughs> Let me teach you a lesson, and boy... Does that not teach you a lesson or what? I mean, I learned more when my dad gave me a spanking than all of grade school together. I mean, you just got it. You understood at that point. There was no uh, comprehension difficulties or there was no, you know, reading the words backwards. Boy, you got it. Boy, these guys got it. Now the next town gets it a little worse. This is interesting. Then he tore down the tower of Penuel, which he said he was going to do, right? And killed the men of the city. And he said to Ziba and Zulmuna, what kind of men were they whom you killed at Tabor? I mean, that's all he says. I pulled down the tower and I killed all the men. And then we move on. He's not happy, I guess. And I don't know why that happened and why it was felt like he needed to do that to these folks, but he did. And he said to Ziba and Zulmuna, these are the, guys, the kings he's captured, what kind of men were they whom you killed at Tabor? And so he answered, as, as you are. So were they. Each one resembled the son of a king. It looked, they looked just like you. And he said, They were my brothers and the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had let them live, I would not kill you. And he said to uh, uh, Jather, his firstborn, as his son, Rise and kill them. Interesting moment here. But the youth would not draw his sword, for he was afraid because he was still a youth. So how young was this guy? How young was he? Son, it's your turn. Take these two kings out. You know, I don't know how young he is, but he's like, I don't, I don't think I should do that. I can't. I'm terrified. So Ziba and Zulmona said, rise yourself and kill us. For as a man is, so is his strength. So Gideon arose and killed Ziba and Zulmona, which granted, and took the crescent ornament, circle that, that were on their camel's necks. Crescent ornaments, it's the crescent moon. That's the moon god. It says here, later on here, actually, at the, at the end of verse uh, 24, that these were all Ishmaelites back then. That crescent moon has followed Ishmael all through to the present day where we still have the crescent moon and we're still fighting the crescent moon. Um, this is Islam. Now, this is not Islam. Islam is only back to the 700s, you know, the, the AD, 700 AD is about as far back as they can trace it. Um, um, it's, it's a new religion, basically. It's the newest of all. But it's interesting, it has the same spirit as it always has. The, the sons of Ishmael have always gravitated towards this crescent moon symbol, the moon god. Um, and of course, that is how 
Muhammad got his God, um, who claims to be the true and living God, but he actually isn't. He picked the moon. God uses the crescent moon as his, uh, and it's still here to this day. Um, crescent ornaments on the camel's necks. They were living in this land and they were evicted, but they wouldn't leave, basically. And uh, this is the promised land given over to, to Abraham and to Isaac, but not to Ishmael, which we're going to get to here in a minute. Verse 22, Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son, and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. We want you to be our king. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. We want a theocracy. We don't want a monarchy. I mean, it's a monarchy because God's on the throne, but I'm not going to be on the throne, which just shows really good character because he could have had the world by his tail if he wanted to. But no, 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 no. God did all this. I'm not taking any credit. Then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you that each of you would give me the earrings uh, from his plunder. You can have everything else, but give me the earrings. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. 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 Um, if you don't know the story, Abraham had a wife named Sarah, and they had a promised son by God, but they got tired of waiting for the promise, so Sarah wasn't having babies like she was supposed to or like they thought she was supposed to, so they gave, she gave Hagar, her handmaid, to, to uh, Abraham to go ahead and have a baby, and that'll be the promised child. Well, that's not what God had planned. It's what man does when we get involved with God's plans and try to make them happen on our time. So she had a baby, and his name was Ishmael. And so he was about 13 years old, but then after he was 13, uh, well, he's probably more like nine, probably nine years old, because anyway, I'm doing the math in my head because he was weaned. Um, Isaac was born to Sarah. Um, and that was the promised child, and God said that, and said, no, 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 it's not through Ishmael, it's through Isaac. It goes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not Abraham, Ishmael, and Jacob, or Ishmael and whoever his kids were. Um, it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That, that's my, now, we're going to take care of Hagar, God said, and we're going to take care of Ishmael, and he's going to be mighty and all that. We're going to give him some land, but not, that's not where my plan lies. It lies with this line of, this lineage, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, Ishmaelites have always had a problem with that, and they still do to this day. That's the, still the battle. You're never going to have peace in the Middle East because the Ishmaelites believe that land is their land. They're the promised child. They believe that. Um, and Israel knows that it's their land and that, that, that Isaac was the promised child. You know? um, there is no getting along. It's never going to happen. We either drive the Israelites or Isaac in their mind into the sea and get our land that we've always been promised by God. It's just it's not going to happen. Um, so when, we, when we're upset with the way Israel's acting or you're upset with the way the Palestinians are acting, this is just, it's how it's going to be because it's far deeper than just getting some ground. It's about God and who is the line of promise. If we give up this land, that means we give up our very heritage that Ishmael is the promised child of God to Abraham. They truly believe that. Um, and, the, and Israel says, no, we're absolutely not going to give up this land because God gave it to us because he absolutely said, Isaac is the promised child and we're of the lineage of Isaac. Um, and that's what Jacob's name means is Israel. So it's Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Okay. So when you hear that or you get caught up in those kind of arguments, understand the background. We're clear back here is the problem. Okay. Um, they're evicted. They're gone. This is the promised land given over to Israel. 
And here we see the crescent, and it's, it's still a fight to this day. Um, that, was, that was our first battle. One of our first battles was the Barbary Wars. Um, 1803, Thomas Jefferson uh, sent off the Marines over to, you know, fight uh, Islam, basically, with Tripoli. And they were at Tripoli, and it's Libya. is modern-day Libya now. Um, and we've been fighting ever since. It's, 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 not, it's not something new. Um, anyway, the background is deep. Verse 25, let's finish up here and we'll, clo we'll close. Uh, so they answered, we will gladly give them. Um, so they gave all their earrings and they spread out a garment and each man threw into it the earring uh, from his plunder. Now the weight of the gold earrings that was requested was 1,700 shekels of gold besides the crescent ornaments, pendants, and purple robes which were on the kings of Midian. Um, and besides the chains that were around the camel's necks. Then Gideon made it into an ephod and set it up in his city. So he wore, it's a garment that the priest would wear or a priest would wear to discern God's will. It was a divining device, in other words. Like, uh, we have in, in the Bible Urim and the Thummim, that's the black and white stone that they would say, you know, black means no, white means yes. And they would pull it out of the bag and that was God's answer. Or the lights of perfection on the priest with all the 12 stones, each one would light up depending on, this is another version of those two things. So he made this because he wanted to you know, serve God is all it was. Then Gideon made it into an ephod and set it up in the city, uh, um, Ophrah. And all Israel played the harlot with it there. It became a snare to Gideon and to his house. Now, not a snare in the sense that Gideon was sucked into worshiping it, but it became a problem that he put it up and it became an artifact of worship. Never supposed to worship stuff, ever. Uh, whether that was the staff of Moses or the serpent that was on top of it or we, or the Ark of the Covenant, want to worship it. We, we like to worship things. And God says, no, 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 these are, I use those things or tools, but they're never meant to be worshipped. And this ended up being a, a thing, a worship thing. Thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted their heads uh, uh, no more. And the country was quiet for 40 years in the days of Gideon. So there's a lot of momentum there. They stayed um, safe and, and, and godly for 40 years. Then Jerubbaal, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house. Gideon had 70 sons who were his own offspring, for he had many wives. It's one of his faults, obviously. Not supposed to have many wives, but he did. And his concubine, who was in, uh, and his concubine who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. Now Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash, his father, in Ophrah of uh, the Abyssalites. So it was, as soon as Gideon was dead, the children of Israel again played the harlot with Baals and made Baal birth um, their God. Thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side, nor did they know or show kindness to the house of Jerubbaal Gideon in accordance with the good he had done for Israel. All right, we made it. Oh, it was long. So they lasted 40 years this time. Next week we'll get into the uh, chapter 9, um, probably just chapter 9, um, as far as we'll get here. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time we've had. Um, we thank you for your faithfulness to us uh, in showing us, you know, these are chapters about something that happened a long time ago with these judges, but we learned so much from them. Um, we can glean so much from these passages for our own walk with you, and we thank you for that this morning. That's why we come. We come to worship you because you're worthy. But we also come to learn. Uh, we want to be better. We want to know you better. We want to know your heart better. We want to understand your ministry better 
your service and what you want to do down here better, that we might know our mission and be able to fulfill it in accordance with your will, whatever that mission is, God. Help us to have our eyes wide open for all these things. When you call us to do something, help us to know it's not because of our skill sets or our strengths, but it's because um, you want us to be faithful and you found us faithful by putting us in the ministry. And help us to rest on that all of our lives. Um, and always just be faithful to answer your call. And so we thank you this morning for this time. Bless these guys as they go today. Thank you for the snow. I know not everybody likes it, but kind of makes all that dead out there look pretty. And so we, we appreciate it. In Jesus' name, amen.